and welcome to the Christmas episode of Performance Marketing Unlocked. In this episode, we have a megastar guest, a seasoned industry heavyweight, John Farrell, the previous CEO of Publicist Group's specialist agencies and marketing services, to talk us through how performance marketing has evolved, his greatest pitching fail, and what the future holds for the industry, all of which you'll hear later on. But before that, in true PMW style, we thought we'd recap some of the biggest moments in the performance marketing calendar this year. So for the final time this year, please welcome Robin Langford and Joe Arthur to the studio. Hey Lucy, thanks for having me. Hello. I feel like we need a clap from the audience there. It felt very kind of chat show. Yeah, we made in, it. In, yeah. in come the guests. But it's been a another pretty turbulent year in performance marketing. We've begun to see Elon Musk's demise as he told advertisers to fuck off last week. Uh, AI causes both alliances. <laughs> Robin just nearly passed <laughs> out. We're doing yeah. F-bombs on the podcast now. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going we're a bit punk, are we? Okay. <laughs> explicit podcast. Um, AI causes both alliances and divides, as this week Meta and IBM out Google and OpenAI for their closed source approach, and the DSP Media Math went bankrupt. But how would you sum up this year in a word, Robin and Joe? I feel like yours is turbulent. <laughs> um, my word of the year, I think, um, landscape. Just because everything at the moment is a landscape. And I just as someone who writes often about the industry, there's the programmatic landscape, the media landscape, the ad tech landscape, the fintech landscape. Everything's a landscape. And, and um, that's one that's just popped up a lot. And it's one that's stuck in my brain. Yeah, it's in our library of kind of it's overused. buzzwords, yeah. landscape, ecosystem. I know what Robin's about to say. It's right there. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, my one would be a word I've been using more and everyone's been using more this year, um, and that is prompt. And that's a new way of interacting with media. Um, and you're probably going to guess what I'm going to talk about later on. But um, I think this new concept of prompting, and I see AI as something that we are prompting AI and AI is prompting us back. It's a whole new kind of circular idea of like sharing inspiration in a, in a new way. And I think we're at the cusp of something quite interesting. Oh, very exciting. So for this Christmas episode, uh, we are going to talk about our favourite performance marketing moments of the year. So Joe, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, sure, Lucy. I think my favourite uh, moment of the year as I'm the news reporter, so I've been across a lot of news and there's just been a a general trend that's been really interesting to follow. And that's the competition in the social commerce space um, between the likes of TikTok, Meta, uh, Amazon's worked its way in there somehow. It seems to be everywhere, Amazon. Uh, Snapchat as well. So I suppose uh, the big news story that comes to mind for me is Amazon partnering with Meta and Snapchat to create a closed loop commerce solution. So that was in short allowing um, people on social media to purchase things via Amazon without having to leave their social media app. They can just see an ad, click, click, add to cart, purchase. Um, sort of competition there with TikTok shop. Both of those things are only in the US, which I think has been another really interesting element of this social commerce space is you've got the likes of Meta and TikTok pushing uh, their sort of ad-supported agendas, but across the UK and Europe, privacy regulations, GDPR, enhanced data compliance has forced them to sort of take a different tact. And you've seen 
uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, X as well has popped up in this saying they're going to introduce paid ad-free tiers to their social media platforms, which is, you know, um, a bit of a, essentially the polar opposite approach to what the same platforms are doing in the US. So that sort of US versus European data compliance uh, has been really interesting to follow along. So yeah, that's been my highlight, the social commerce competition and Everything seems to orbit around Amazon somehow, so I'm waiting for next year Amazon to release its social <laughs> social media <laughs> it's platform. Creating different landscapes, yeah. Say, <laughs> it's like changed your... the social landscape for sure. I mean, you you know, you, there's a lot of uh, social media platforms creating a lot of competition, as you were saying. But then Twitter, what, what's happening to Twitter? Where's that going to be? What next is year? happening to Twitter? Yeah, I mean, is that a platform that's even going to be around for? much longer who knows because uh a commentator this week was only saying after you know elon musk was just kind of destroying the platform and you know pushing away any advertisers a lot of advertisers are indefinitely pulling their spend on the platform i think x remains um sort of uh, relevant and it's such a big platform with history as far as social media history can go it's got great pedigree a lot of users but uh, I think everyone's sort of tentatively preparing for life without it. And that's why it's maybe fallen out of the discourse mm. in the, the, the sort of advertising sphere a little mm. bit. But it's definitely dom- dominating general news headlines, that's for yeah. certain. be interesting to see if it either picks up again. Um, I mean, think, I think someone's given a six-month time cap on Linda Yaccarino's job. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it picks up again or if another competitor comes to the fore because I don't think Threads cut it. haven't heard much about <laughs> Threads, although the, I did see recently that uh, engagement um, from users has sort of picked back up after it plateaued initially. So maybe that's one to keep an eye on next year. Yeah. I, I didn't think um, Threads, Threads people had a problem with they didn't quite know what to do with it. What I am seeing on Instagram is a lot of people, because it links up with their Threads, are now putting their Threads comments on there. So you suddenly see, oh, I'm on Threads now. I thought I was on Instagram. So that kind of... Um, flow between the two meta platforms might be what's kind of it might end up replacing that role that twitter plays in the social landscape mm. um because that's the reason the reason why pinterest still is around because there's something that it offers its original same with snap same with um, instagram same with tiktok and x has that role as a kind of news town hall of the internet kind of thing and it still has that but it's get, that town hall's getting a bit Dirty and mm. not, not people don't want to spend as much time there at the moment. From so, a marketing so, perspective, it's just losing its luster a bit. I think yeah. it's, it's a, a risk for advertisers and brands, and you just in this turbulent landscape can't really afford to have that at the moment. Getting sick of our favorite words already. <laughs> but moving on to your favorite word of the year, Robin. Let's. What's your uh, big? performance marketing moment that you want to talk about? Um, one particular moment. I, well, it's it's more. It's AI in general. <laughs> I wanted to draw attention, dear readers, to our, our first published article on PMW this year in 2023, which was all about AI. And we had we featured a NASA engineer, an MIT specialist, and someone from UCL talking about this new thing called generative AI. And as I was reading, as I was sort of reading these comments, I was learning these exotic new um, acronyms like LLMs and well, what's this company called GPT and stuff. I was still kind of learning on this Lenza and Midjourney and Stable Diffusion. And all these exotic new sounding things. And we were only starting to get a, a sort of a sense of a, a new thing that happened in AI. And it was a democratization of AI this year. It got power got put into people's hands. You suddenly all had your own little self-learning assistant that you could call upon. And it could give you answers. It could learn yourself. There was no platform gatekeeping. And so that has been revolutionary this year. Um, but for performance marketers, there's 
being a sort of double whammy because it will affect the way you work and it also affect the customers you're marketing to. Um, and nowhere is that more apparent than in the search landscape. And my moment this year, although I love to pick the, all the drama OpenAI with, um, with Sam Altman, I'm going to pick um, Google launching its search generative experience box, um, which is still in labs, but it's going to be coming rolled out across, across Google over the coming year. And that means that you're going to, it's going to transform that search landing page, which is one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in the internet uh, for all brands. Um, and Google's going to put generative answers within all of their um, all of the search queries, and that's going to affect a lot of things. It's going to affect your organic search, it's going to affect your paid search, and there's going to be a lot of people looking at their dashboards lighting up in very alarming ways next year mm. as consumer search changes. But on the plus side, I, I, I was hearing um, someone from Microsoft Bing saying that. Um, generative searches are actually three times longer than a normal search. So consumers are giving brands a lot more rich data about what they what they want to uh, know. But the ret- what's going to return back is they might not need to click through as much because they're going to get that answer on that page. Yeah, I think it's a lot to kind of look forward to in the future, so in 2024. I mean, I think, you know, gener- generative AI made a pretty big explosion this year, but people are waiting to see what the real and proper use case is it kind of seems in the fun stage at the moment yeah there, there, there are, we've, we've seen at, at our events and stuff we've seen some applications across um you know keyword analysis data analysis and it's all an ai has existed as predictive ai for quite a long time but I was, i'm just going to refer quickly to um um, some walk research, which actually found only 8% of marketers this year have not used generative AI in the marketing, which is quite interesting. But the main things they've used it for are things like copywriting, summarizing large text, and competitor and keyword analysis and category analysis. So we are seeing a lot of that stuff seep into those normal performance marketing practices already. But the positive spin on it is that it's not going to take jobs, it's just going to take away that mundanity. I think the jury's More time out on for that. the big picture. Exactly, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on and being part of our Christmas episode. Yeah, I have a very prompt-filled New Year. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Brilliant. <laughs> and next, we will hear from John Farrell. As well as CEO of Publicist Group's SAMS, he has been president of some of the world's most famous agencies, notably Darcy and IMP, a leading promotions and direct marketing agency in the 80s and 90s. Having wanted to have a career as a professional football player and joining the advertising game simply because his friend did, John has been a key player in the creative industry and its evolution into tech. And now at his own firm, he advises on some of the most well-known marketing companies, including Oliver and Ogilvy One, mentoring their CEOs. So welcome to the studio, John. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. So are you glad you chose advertising as your career just because your friend did? (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, we both went to Nottingham Trent University, which is uh, at the time was Trent Polytechnic, mm-hmm. uh, which tells you how long ago it was. But uh, he um, he left a year before me and he joined an ad agency and he seemed to be having a great deal of fun. He seemed to be going to a lot of parties and having far too much enjoyment and was getting paid reasonably well as well. So I thought... Yeah, I might, I might take that career up as well. So, uh, yeah, I was delighted uh, I went into it. Although, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, uh, the industry has changed radically 
um, since I started. Mm. But mainly, I would argue for the better. But We'll talk about that in a few minutes, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I like to think some of the fun has still stayed. stayed from, you know, what kind of drew, drew you into it and what draws people into it now. I think especially in the creative side of it, there's a lot of fun that goes on within these agencies. But let's talk a bit about the performance marketing. Because when we first spoke and we talked about your previous experience and especially in direct marketing, and this is arguably kind of one of the early forms of performance marketing. So could you explain how performance marketing has evolved over your career yeah I mean I think that if you go back to the certainly to the late 80s and early 90s the role of advertising agencies was really very much about brand building and there was almost a sort of slightly derogatory view in advertising agencies of anything other than creating image and creating a a, a picture for the brand. Um, Direct marketing agencies took advantage of that during the same period because clients, not surprisingly, wanted to sell more stuff and they wanted a return on their marketing investment. And the growth of direct marketing and direct marketing agencies during that period was exponential. Um, And then sort of in the mid-90s towards the turn of the century. Uh, Surprise, surprise, um, some bright brand people in companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever, which at the time were very much the leading um, players in marketing innovation. Uh, They said, well, why can't we have both? You know, why why do we have to have either direct marketing, which is going to get a return on the investment, or advertising, which is going to get a... Um, a better image for the brand Um, we want to have both and of course you know that's how really I think you know performance marketing is a strange term in a way because it infers that there's something which isn't performance Mm. marketing (laughs) which in turn says well why would you do it then Um, but uh, but I think that then what's evolved is that both disciplines both direct marketing and creative brand building advertising have come to join together in the middle um, over you know trying to do both jobs and the best agencies and the best clients are the ones who recognize that and don't accept a trade-off for one or the other but demand both. It's a really interesting uh, relationship between what I think what we call as brand and performance marketing and it's interesting to hear this kind of dynamic, um, slightly fraught dynamic, maybe begin as you know, as in the eighties, as you said, um, because even now at our events we will talk about, oh, you know, how do you split your brand and performance budgets and the relationship between these two? Which one do you rely more on? And it, it seems like it's a harmony that can't quite be met yet. Does it sound like? Would you say? Well, I think historically, I don't. I'm. I, I, I like to believe it's changed now, but maybe it hasn't changed as much as, as it needs to. But historically, the advertising agency view of things related to performance marketing was pretty sniffy. It was like, well, you know, we, I, we don't do that stuff, you know. I've heard there's a kind of hierarchy between yeah. brand and performance teams. Well, I remember doing pitches in the in the 90s where... You know, the advertising agency would, you know, it would be 
a holistic pitch with, with a fully integrated program. So above the, what was at the time was called above the line and below the line. Um, and the ad agency would spend, you know, about an hour setting up the, uh, the reveal. Then they'd reveal the, um, the uh, creative idea. Then they'd show that in various advertising iterations, whether it be television or cinema or whatever, or posters. Um, and then the below the line people would get five minutes at the end to show what it would look like when you put it in an envelope. And, um, and it, was, it was crazy. Because, of course, the clients were thinking, well, actually, you know, that, that bit might be the bit that's actually going to deliver a return on the overall investment that I'm, I'm making here. So it's now I, I would argue that that's that has changed because, you know, it had to. Um, but it is a it's it's still today, I think, become quite challenging in some ways. I mean. One of the best examples is as more and more money has been spent on digital um, and online activity, one of the interesting things about that is I think in a way it's made ideas smaller because of the nature of the platforms that you're delivering those ideas on. Um, and It's a very interesting way to look at it, I think, making ideas smaller because... In some way, these platforms help you reach a large amount of people. Yeah, no, but you're right. I mean, it, 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 and and if you talk to classic creative directors in some of the big advertising agencies, there is still a little bit of a looking down their nose at at uh, aspects of digital media, because it it doesn't, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna see that. Um, as a 60-second commercial at Cannes on a, on a big screen. You know, a LinkedIn post is not quite the same thing, really. But it's, it's quite have the same sexiness as a Cannes. Well, exactly, spot, exactly. It? And I think that, you know, I think that the, the, there is still a bit of work to be done to get people to realise that, particularly in agencies, actually, less so in brand owners and in client organisations, where you know they're judged on the outcome of the work um the 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 future i think is going to be more and more expecting that whether it's in digital media whether it's in classic creative advertising media um that performance and brand building are working in lockstep together and you mentioned um kind of pitch Pitching earlier and pitch culture is something that's often debated quite a lot at the moment. We had the pitch positive pledge um, come out last year. Do you have a horrific pitch memory in your kind of when you were in your pitching days? Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, let's say I have several. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, my um, no, we. I, I remember pitching for the Mars Global account um, for what at the time was Snickers. And um, the Mars family, who were infamous for their, let's call it eccentric behaviour in pitches. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were doing this pitch. Um, it was when I was the global CEO of Darcy. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, there was the two brothers who were the Mars brothers and their sister. And the sister, 
during our what I thought was highly in persuasive pitch, fell asleep and lay with her head on her arms oh, on the no. conference table. And it's quite quite tricky because <laughs> when you're in the middle of what you think is the most persuasive pitch in the world and someone is literally sort of softly moaning oh, as, they're for, as they're sort of breathing heavily as they're falling. Do you, you was she of, actually asleep? It wasn't kind of a no. Idea. She was no. She was actually asleep. Um, and one of the brothers, and again, they were famous for this at the time, um, had his back to the presentation and was doing needlepoint. Um, so it was quite bizarre, and and you you had a choice. You either said, "I'm going to stop and wait until you pay attention," or you just plow on. So we plowed on. And the really bizarre thing is we won the business. I was going to ask, <laughs> we, did you win the pitch? We won the pitch. It's like, well, obviously... Did you feel confident leaving the, the pitch room? I think it's fair to say that we <laughs> thought it could have gone better. <laughs> I mean, whenever someone falls asleep during your presentation, it's probably I mean, not the best there thing. There isn't many things worse that go below that in exactly, terms of the success Exactly. But I, I've had a, I've had a few of those. Pitching, I think, is a when it's properly used by clients, I think it's a valuable exercise because it does provide a focus point in time where you know you're never going to see the agency mm-hmm. in a better light because they're on their very best, uh, or they ought to be on their very best behaviour and their very best output. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a, it, it, it can serve a purpose of bringing to life what it is that that agency can contribute to that brand. Um, what, you know, is totally unacceptable is, you know, well, we'll have a long list of 12 and then we'll have a short list of six mm. and then we'll have a three-month process and then at the end of the three-month process... Um, I'm going to reappoint the agency that I had in the first place because I was never really going to move it anyway. And it's like, really? You know, a lot of money wasted from a lot of money, a lot, well, and and a lot of emotional energy and time. You know, pitching is tough. There isn't, you know, it doesn't matter how relaxed you try to be about it. You know, you, you, you care and it's tough and it takes a lot out of the agency. It's also, pretty tough on um, their existing clients as well, you know, because all the time, you know, you, you, you tend to put mm. your very best brains on the biggest pitch opportunities. Um, well, they can't do everything. So, yeah. Well, uh, we could carry on talking about pitches. It's a, yeah. very, it's a big debated topic at the moment. But you're a huge advocate for technology within marketing at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to hear your opinion on how adaptive you think that brands and marketers really have been over the changes that we've seen, I mean, primarily in the de- last decade or so. Yeah, I think that the I think there's almost like a two speed economy going on here, you know, and I, I, I don't want to be I don't want to sound like I'm over critical of agencies, but I'm just about to be critical of agencies, <laughs> because if you think about it. There are very few industries where the process of producing the product has not changed in 30 or 40 years. And fundamentally, the process in an advertising agency is the same today as it was 50 years ago. You know, 
brief comes in, strategists come up with a plan, plan is delivered to creative department, creative department thinks through the ideas, account people take the ideas back to the client and off you go. And that process of producing the work hasn't really evolved and, it, and it's almost unique because if you look on the other side of the two-speed economy and you look mm. at what brands have done in the same time, there's, there isn't a brand around that hasn't evolved the process of producing its product fundamentally, whether it's in new packaging, whether it's in new design, whether it's in new ways of engaging with the consumer. It's moving fast and there's no doubt that the process of producing the product has changed fundamentally for virtually all brands in the last 20 or 30 years. So it's curious that the agency side has not evolved in the same way. And I think that that is, I mean, I know we're going to talk about AI in a few moments, but I think that that is both a challenge and an opportunity. And, the, and you know, and the best agencies are are shifting gears on mm. that um, because it, 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 there, is, there is a chance to actually take the process of producing work to a new level as well as the output itself. Mm. I mean, it's interesting when you say it, it's curious because you think, has it, has it stayed because, um, you know, there's something that confidently gives success about the process that they have so they haven't changed it? Or is it more of a stubbornness within agencies? Um, I think it's a bit of both. I think that, you know, I mean, there's been some wonderful creative outputs over the last 20 years where, you know, which are truly memorable pieces of work. And they've been born by that process I just outlined. So, you know, it's not that it doesn't work. My question is, is it the most efficient process? Mm. Is it the most, uh, the process which is going to get you the best results? Does it marry well with the performance marketing agenda that we were talking about a few moments ago? You know, does it give you the best chance of having both brand building and a return on your marketing investment? Mm. Um, and I think those are challenging questions for a process that hasn't changed for 40 years. Well, let's talk more about the efficiency side of things. And as you mentioned, AI, I mean, this month is ChatGPT's one-year birthday. Well, I should say last month yeah, <laughs> at yeah. that time of uh, release. But what's your standpoint on AI and its impact on the on the broader marketing industry? Um, I think that, well, firstly, I think we're just scratching the surface. I mean, you know, it is moving so quickly and there is so much... Um, noise around the AI agenda you know as, as you mentioned in your introduction you know I'm involved in half a dozen pretty big scale marketing services businesses and we don't have a single board meeting where the AI agenda isn't discussed um, and we're talking about it from every aspect we're talking about it from the point of view of how can it improve and accelerate our processes um, internally? We're talking about it from the point of view of what can it do to help um, our clients and build their brands and how can we, you know, plot a roadmap that brings those two things together. 
Um, so I'm a big fan of AI, and I believe that it is a force for good, not a force for evil. But there's no question that, you know, as with any change in any industry, there are some pain points. Um, and by way of example, you know, my son works for a very large American law firm. And historically, they've taken on 10 or 12 graduates every year. Uh, next year, they're going to take on four. Um, why? Because of AI, because all of the, you know, the processing of the rather long form contracts mm. that used to be done by people can now, you know, can now be done in seconds by a machine. Um, now, you've still got to ask the right questions. You've still got to have someone to oversee it. But that is a change in the way that that workplace is going to operate, which in the short term is, is you know, it's going to be a little painful for the eight people who don't get a job next year. Mm. So, you know, it, th there are... There are lots of examples of where AI, I think, is um, is moving things. You know, it's it's getting things to go faster. It's cutting um, pieces out of the process, which means that you can do things hopefully more efficiently, quicker, cheaper. You know, which brands, which clients don't want faster, quicker, cheaper? <laughs> Their you know, favorite words. Exactly. Sure. So you know, faster, quicker, cheaper providing the quality is retained is the agenda that all brands are, are interested in. And, you know, the, the marketing services agencies would be crazy not to respond to that. And that's why, as I said, you know, in the board meetings for all of the big companies that I'm involved with today, it's on every agenda. In these board meetings, does the AI topic, when you come to discuss it, is it quite divisive? Do you think people are standing on quite different levels with AI in terms of um, their support of it? I don't think it's divisive, but I do think there is a very steep learning curve for some people. Um, and, you know, the it's quite funny because, you know, there's almost like a functional divide, you know, um, the, 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 the finance people are all over it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I can see how this is going to yeah. help. Uh, the creative people are a little bit more sceptical and suspicious of, well, where's this all going and how does it affect me mm. and my world? So I, I don't think it's divisive. I think everyone recognises that there is an in inevitability about the fact that AI is coming, that it's going to have a role to play. And it's almost like if you stand in the way of that progress, you're almost holding yourself out for failure because it's going to happen. It's a question of embracing it and making sure that when it happens, it happens in a way which is controlled, um, which has the right security, the right aspects of um, oversight, but at the same time takes advantage of the unbelievable things that technology can do. I, I, as I said, we're scratching the surface at the moment. If you, if we had this conversation 
in three years' time, it would be completely different because you'd have probably 30 years of knowledge in the next three based on the current, you know, based on the current mm. way the world is moving. That's both an exciting and terrifying fact, I think. I was um, speaking earlier this week with the vice president of Critio's AI Labs. Right. Um, and he settled my nerves a bit, actually, by saying we've had this explosion of generative AI this year. And after explosions, we also have a settling. So hopefully things should settle. And I think people will then, uh, you know, understand a bit more about the, the understanding will catch up a little bit and we can then work out how can we use this to our benefit. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure I share the view that we're in the settled period yet. Not yet, no. We're, we're, there's a little, there is plenty of explosions still <laughs> going off. I mean, you look at what's happened you know, in the last couple of days, with the with you know, the uh, the what one moment the leadership are going to Microsoft, and the next mm. moment they're coming back again. Um, it it you know, it, it's it's a it's a still a very very volatile situation, but I think you know one of the things that is emerging is the importance of asking the right questions, and the importance of understanding the implications of asking the right questions um and i think that if you think back i mean it's not really comparable but you think back to when i don't know when calculators were first used by students and there was a huge kerfuffle about you know could calculators be allowed in examinations and you know what were the implications and um and it was sort of, you know, when you, when you look back on that, it's like ridiculous. Oh, it's ridiculous. You know, <laughs> it's completely bonkers. And I think a lot of the challenges that AI is dealing with at the moment, and a lot of the scepticism in certain communities about the role of AI, will be thought of in a similar way to how people think about that calculator argument in a couple of years. So they'll be going, well, why did we Why did we say that? Why did we think like that? A waste of our time in a way to get so caught exactly. up at all. Well, let's look, since this is our Christmas episode, let's <laughs> look to 2024. I would like to ask if you have any major concerns about the industry as it stands, but I'd also like to ask about the glimmers of hope that are also out there at the moment. Well, I think... I'm pretty positive about where the industry is at at the moment. Um, you know, the the industry is different, but different isn't bad. Different is good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the amount of money that is now spent through digital platforms as opposed to conventional advertising media has fundamentally changed it. Businesses like... Haymarket have fundamentally changed as a result of, you know, being an uh, an online offer rather than a pure offline offer, and that that change in the dynamic of the way that the industry is, I think, is something which predominantly is good. I mean, obviously there are certain things which are challenging about it, but but predominantly it's good. So I'm not worried for the industry. I do think that. At the heart of one of my concerns, though, is something I referred to earlier, which is the sort of compressing or smallness around creative ideas. 
Um, and I think that one of the challenges and performance marketing going full circle to where we started the conversation, performance marketing and brand building at its best unites around big ideas. And there seems to me to be less big idea thinking at the moment than there has been for a while. And I don't know why that is. Um, maybe clients don't value it as much. Maybe it's perceived as a little bit indulgent. Do you think it's perceived as risky? Maybe it's too risky. Maybe they haven't made the join between performance marketing and the return on investment and big ideas and creative. But I've been doing this a long time and I can tell you that that will return. Big ideas will return. And you ask where the glimmer of hope is. The glimmer of hope is that big ideas will return and that they will once again be things that you know, people who have nothing to do with the marketing and advertising world stand around the water cooler and talk about because they think, oh, my God, that was just so that that has changed my view of this brand. It's changed my behavior. If it's, you know, a service business, it's changed the way I think about a, you know, whether it's a retail interaction, whatever it is. But big ideas have the ability to do that. Um and, you know, as I said at the beginning, it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, brand building or um, changing behavior. It can be both. I think that's a really positive uh, sentiment. You've filled me with a lot of hope that big ideas are going to be returning. And like you said, the things that excite me about marketing and advertising is like you said, it's those water cooler moments. It's when I'll say to my friend, did you did you see that? Wasn't that shocking or you know interesting funny whatever it was and I think getting us to talk about that shows when a brand really connects yeah and it, I mean it's it's not that they don't exist there are I mean I don't know whether you've seen the the new John Lewis ad I have yes it's become almost a a component part of Christmas mm. in the advertising and marketing world um the Coca-Cola work similarly you know running up to Christmas now, whether you love it or whether you hate it, it gets talked about because it feels big scale. It feels like it's, mm. you know, it, it is a big idea. And actually, you know, in both of those cases, there's quite a lot of work that's going on in performance related platforms as well as the sort of 30 second, 60 second television work. So it's, you know, there are, there are, I don't know whether they're glimmers of hope, but there are certainly examples of what we're discussing going on, but there could be so many more. And, uh, you know, if you think back to what you were just referring to, you know, to the eight or 10, you know, wonderful slogans from the 90s or the, you know, the noughties or the 80s, I'm not sure you could get to the same number as quickly or as easily today. Mm. Um, and that's a shame. Well, we have almost come to the end of the podcast, but because it's Christmas, we are changing up our Resell Me a Pen challenge, where we normally ask our guests to resell an outdated object. But because it's Christmas, we thought we'd change it up. And we have challenged John to 
pitch to us what a brand should be to a modern day consumer in 60 seconds still, just to make it completely <laughs> impossible with such an open-ended question. So, John, when you are ready, what should a brand be to a modern day consumer? Well, I think a brand, firstly, it needs to deliver on quality and value. Uh, value, not just price, obviously. It needs to inspire engagement. You, you rightly pointed out earlier that brands aren't necessarily loved. They don't have that relationship, but they can engage. And how does it inspire that engagement? And if it can inspire engagement, it delivers on quality and value. It creates an emotional as well as a rational reason for that engagement then it will turn consumers into advocates. Brilliant. Thank you very much. That was done well within time as well. So normally at this point in the pod podcast, I would decide whether you've sold it or not. <laughs> and I think it would be wrong to say if I hadn't, if you hadn't. So congratulations. You thank have you sold the brand. Thank you very much. Well, you're very kind. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the Performance Marketing Unlocked podcast. This has been a, a fascinating discussion. I'm looking forward to hearing some big ideas from brands in the future that's filled me with uh, with some hope uh, and yeah I hope you've enjoyed your time thank you very much it's been a pleasure well thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode of performance marketing unlocked it is now Christmas and I will see you after the break we have an episode coming out in the first week of January with all the predictions for 2024 so if you're feeling a bit slow when you come back to work, just take a listen to the episode and it will fill you in and everything you need to know for the year to come. Merry Christmas and have a happy new year.